You are listening to Press Church Podcast. Please enjoy this week's message. And the title of my sermon is going to be part two of last week where we talked about keep moving forward. Keep moving forward. It's the name of the sermon and the title of what I'm doing today so that we can land this plane quickly. Keep moving forward. If you say that today, I'll be like, hey man, you're repeating that, but you might just be telling me, keep moving forward. (laughs) And what we talked about was a story of the 12 spies as the children of Israel are being brought into the promised land. They've been brought out of Egypt. They've been brought out of slavery. They've been brought out of captivity. And now they have traveled through the desert and they're on the verge of the promised land. And Moses takes one spy from each tribe of the the 12 and he tells them to go into the promised land, go into this place that God has promised us and spy it out and find out what's going on. And all 12 come back and this is the story, this is kind of the, the, the jumping board, the launching point of Numbers 13 verses 27 through 30. Verse 27 says, Then they, being the spies, told him, being Moses, and said, We went to the land where you sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey. And this is the fruit. They were showing off the grapes and different things like that. Verse 28 says, Nevertheless, it went real good in verse 27, then went real bad after this. Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak, which are giants there. Verse 29, they're just really letting the, letting the good news fly here. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south. The Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the mountains. The Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the banks of the Jordan. And so we see this story developing, that these spies show up, and they should have come with just the good news. It is what God said. It is the land of milk and honey. Look at the fruit. It is abundant. It is large. It is a great piece of property because there's so many people that are living on it and using it and taking care of it. They've been preparing it for us, and now it is our time to take it over. That's what it should have said. That's what they should have said. But they didn't. They said, oh yeah, it's what God told us to do. But there are giants, there are large cities, there are large fortified areas, and there's every type of Hittite that's there, and they're going to kill us. And we bring this into a right now 2022 situation. You see, the Israelites, they had a word from God. They had an encounter with God. They had something from God saying that we're going to get you out of captivity, we're going to bring you into the promised land. And they're on the verge of seeing the word of God, the prayer that you've been praying, manifest into the reality and to receive that miracle. They're right there and they're about to walk into the promised land, but there's giants in the way. There's something that gets in between them and their answered prayer. There's something that gets in between them and their miracle. That we all, in some way, shape, or form, have been praying. We've got a scripture that we're holding on to. We've got a prayer that we're holding on to. We've got a word from God that we're holding on to. We haven't seen the full manifestation of that happen in our lives, and all of a sudden there are giants, there's a distraction, there's an enemy in between us and the promised land. What do I do? Am I going to be like the Israelites 
Am I going to cry in fear? Am I going to run away? Am I going to yell? Am I going to get mad at God? And am I going to go back to Egypt? Which is what the Israelites end up doing. Because they didn't believe, they had to walk around the desert for 40 years till those that didn't believe died out and a whole new generation was brought up to be brought into the promised land. And I don't want you to be walking around for the rest of your life scared of giants and never seeing the answer that God wants to fulfill in your life. In Numbers 13 verse 30, one of the spies who we're going to be focusing on, he says this in verse 30, then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and take possession for we are well able to overcome it. So we pulled out some truths last week. And the first truth that we pulled out was that you need to change your perspective. You need to change your perspective because the spies, the 10 of them, they said, we look like grasshoppers according to our own eyes and according to the giants. There's no way that we can win. There's no way that we can overcome them. Caleb changed his perspective. He didn't see giants on his land. He saw what the land was and answered a prayer. And he says, we are well, more than able to go and overtake these giants. Let's go right now. And I encouraged you last week and encourage you today to change your perspective. That sometimes we get so caught up when the storm hits us. We get so caught up when that event or that situation happens that we don't ever see God in it. We just see the problem. The second truth we talked about was that you need to remember that it's just giants. It's just a giant. People make such a big deal about giants. People make such a big deal about their situation. We all know that one person, and if you don't know them, it might be you, when you ask them, hey, how are you doing? And that answer says, well, it starts off usually like that. Well, and you're like, I shouldn't have asked that question. This is the only answer that you should have given is I'm fine. In normal human interaction, the only answer should be, how are you doing? And your response should be fine. Not, well, the devil's attacking. Is he? Well, my life's falling apart. Well, they always want to talk about the giant. It's just a giant. Know that God has already given you the victory. God has defeated many of giants. God has defeated many of enemies. And it says in the scriptures that God is on your side. So if the giant killer is on my side, then greater is he that's with me than the giants that are over there. Or there any enemy that comes against me. Change your perspective. Realize it's just a giant. Quit overemphasizing how big your situation is. Today we're going to start talking about the next truth. And we're going to look at a scripture, story that we've heard before about a very famous Israelite facing a very famous giant. And King David, he's not a king at that point, David is about to go and face Goliath and he's running toward the giant. He's not running away from the giant like the rest of the Israelites were and the king was. The king should have been out there defending his people and defending and his name and defending his God, not just hiding in a tent. It takes a little boy to show up and say, I know who's on my side. And he's running toward the giant. And he says this in 1 Samuel 17, verses 45 through 47. 
Then David said to the Philistine, he didn't say it to anybody else. He's talking directly to that giant. He's not running from the giant. He's not scared of the giant. He realizes there's a giant in his way, and he's talking right to that giant. You come to me with a sword, with a spear, and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. Verse 46 says, this day, today's the day to deal with the giant. You don't wait until you get older. You don't wait until tomorrow. Well, I'll deal with the giant when Christmas comes. I'll deal with the giant when I turn 21. No, today's the day that we deal with the giants. The Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you and take your head from you. And this day, I will give, you, I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines, where did this kid learn this? To the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. In verse 47, he says, Then all this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear for the battle of the Lord, and he will give you into our hands. He's not running from the giant like the ten spies did. He's like Caleb. He's got that, that ferocity inside of him, that intensity inside of him, that he knows God is on his side, and God has killed many of enemies, and it's just a giant to God. It's just another enemy, and we're going to take care of it. So what do we do with a giant? We don't run from it. We don't hide from it. We do like David did, and the next truth that we're going to talk about is we cut the giant's head off. We cut the giant's head off. All of these spies and the children of Israel ran away from the giants. They were scared of them. They ran, and because they ran, there was a punishment that was placed upon them. They got to die in the wilderness and not see the promise that God had promised them. Their children would see it. So we have to understand in our lives when a giant comes between us and our answered prayer, comes between us and seeing the miracle and the manifestation of God, what we do is we cut that giant's head off. How do we cut off the giant's head that are on your land, that are in your way? Well, we use the thing that we have in our hand, which is the sword, which is the word of God. And he, in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17, it says, And take the helmet of salvation. And as we're reading, the verb also applies to the next thing. And take the helmet of salvation and take the sword of the Spirit. And God is so good, he answers what the sword of the Spirit is, the word of God. In Ephesians 6, it talks about that we wrestle against, not against flesh and blood, but against principalities. None of us came in here today with swords on our hips. I've got a pocket knife, but I don't know if that's really going to cut off anybody's head. It's not the sharpest thing either. But none of us are walking around with full-blown swords looking for giants' heads to cut off because we understand that our enemy is not in the natural. Our enemy is in the spiritual realm. And how do we cut the giants' heads off in the spiritual realm? It's by using the Word of God. And it says here that we have to take it up. We have to put on the armor of God. We have to make the choice 
that I'm not going to cower and run away. I'm going to put on the full armor of God, and I'm going to stand against the wiles of the devil, it says in Ephesians 6, by taking up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. In Hebrews 4.12, we know this scripture, we've heard this scripture, but it defines and shows us what the Word of God is. For the Word of God is, here's the definition, living and breathing and active and powerful are the different types of words in the translations that you read. Is living, breathing, active, powerful, and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing of soul and spirit of joint and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart, that the Word of God is living, breathing, acting, that there is a giant, there is a situation, there is a frustration that is happening in your life right now, and the Word of God is so alive, it is ready to cut that giant's head off right now. Don't have to wait. You can use the Word of God. But some of us, unfortunately, we either go hide the sword of the Spirit or we think the sword is not really a sword. We think it's a dagger. And we're just kind of trying to poke in the... We kind of pull the scriptures out every once in a while. We don't use them all the time. Or we don't think that they're truly as strong or as sharp as they are. That the Word of God is powerful. It's living. It's breathing. It's active. It's ready to cut the head off the giant. It is sharp enough, the word of God is sharp enough to destroy whatever enemy is between you and your answer. But sometimes we don't use it that way. We think it's a dull blade or we go hide the blade or we leave it. We say we're going to figure it out on our own. In Psalms chapter 107 verse 20, it says, God is speaking, well, the, the writer of Psalms is speaking, and it's talking about God. He, being God, sent his word. All he did was send his word. And what did his word do? It healed them. Them being us, them being you, them being me. And he sent his word and delivered them from their destructions or their enemies. The scripture here says that he sent his word. He didn't send an army. He didn't send all the angels of heaven. He didn't send philosophers to think about all the different ways that we could potentially destroy the enemy. God decided and made the choice. Now, we know also here that this is a messianic prophecy in his word being Jesus. He sent his word. He sent Jesus, and Jesus healed them, and Jesus delivered them from the destruction. But he also sent his Bible. He sent the word of God. The word became flesh. And the word went up to heaven, and the word became paper. Praise God. The word resides inside of us. And according to God in this scripture, what was good enough to heal you, what was good enough to destroy giants in your life, was his word. So if it's good enough for God, then it should be good enough for us. But we don't think that it's good enough. We don't use the Bible. We don't quote scripture. Well, I'll try and do this to help God. I'll try and figure this. I'll try it. No, no, no. God simply sent his word, and it healed them, and it delivered them from their destruction. So if that's what God believes can heal you and remove and cut the heads off of giants, then why don't we try that? Why don't we try his word and believe it and quote it and speak it? Faith comes when we speak by hearing the word of God. The substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. 
that we want to see and speak his word to chop off the head of our enemies. My wife has an enemy. It's not me. I don't think so. My wife has an enemy by the name of Snake, and she hates snakes, hates them. She hates them in real life. She hates them on the TV. She hates pictures of them. She hates them in books. She hates snakes. So on our property, snakes are the enemy. We don't play with snakes. We don't take care of snakes. We don't bring them in the house. We don't hang out with them. When we have an enemy on our property, we chop the head. I, but there's a good snake. Yeah, I know there are. But to my wife, sorry, go be a good snake on another couple of acres or across the street. We chop the heads off of our enemy. We don't play with them. We don't talk about them. We don't run from them. That's why I have a dog. That's why I have a cat. That's why I have a couple shovels. That's why I have a couple guns. I have the weapons that are afforded to me to cut the heads off of snakes. When we first moved here, there was a snake near our house, and it was in our garage, and my wife was the only one that just kept happening to see it. She's freaking out, and I saw it bathing, sunning in the middle of our yard. So I was trying to figure out, this was before I had all my tools as we had just moved there, of trying to get it. And it crawled up into a tree. I said, what is this demon snake? <laughs> and it was fall, and you could see the snake in the tree. And all I had at the time was uh, a little twenty-two rifle that Mr. Jim had given us, his, his gun as a kid. And so I was like, man, I'm new, like, I'm new to this country thing. I'm just coming in from city living. And I'm, I'm shooting at this snake up in the tree. And I thought that I had hit it. And I'm celebrating. Because I shot at it. And the snake was rigid in the tree wrapped around a branch. And then it just sunk down in two or three different things. And so I'm ready to go inside and tell my wife, baby, your husband has killed the snake. My mother-in-law was there. And I'm standing there for about five minutes looking at this snake. And I said, I don't see the exit wound on this snake. But he's laying motionless. He hasn't moved. She comes out. She looks at the snake. And she's like, that snake is dead. And so I get some branch on the ground. And I throw it up at the snake, expecting it to fall in victory. And that thing comes alive and starts <laughs> slithering around the tree. And I realize my weakness I was embarrassed as a husband. I was embarrassed as a man because I didn't know that my wife had called the real snake killer her dad. <laughs> and her dad pulled up in his truck. One of the most amazing scenes that I've ever seen, he pulls up on the side of the road, opens the door, and comes out with his 12-gauge. I don't know if he even put the car in park, and he steps over our fence and with one shot with that 12 gauge blows that snake to hell <laughs> cut that sucker in half and I'm standing there thoroughly impressed and thoroughly embarrassed in my own masculinity and he had such a good shot 
that half of that snake was still hanging there. And he says, well, the head's still there. And he fires another shot and blows the head off of this snake so much to where we couldn't find the head of that snake. Poor snake. Went to... Went to <laughs> but that's what we do. That's what we do with the enemy. We cut the head. <laughs> Too much sugar. No sugar. We cut the heads off of snakes. We cut the heads off of our enemies. We don't play with them. We don't get scared of them. We don't talk about them. We do what God tells us to do. We use the sword. We use the word of God. And we speak to that giant. And we cut the head off of the giant. Whatever your situation is, there is a word from God in the Bible that is specifically written by God to you to help you in that situation. We cut the heads off of giants. Now, seemingly, as the spies are telling Moses and they're telling the children of Israel about the enemies. They're telling them, like it's the first time that they've ever seen giants. It's the first time they've ever heard about the Amalekites, the Hittites, the Theseites, and the Thoseites. And they think, why did God bring us here? I can't believe it. We could have just stayed with the Egyptians. That was just one civilization. That was just one army that we had to deal with. Now we're going into the promised land, the place that God promises us, and it's full of enemy after enemy after enemy, and it's full of giants on top of these enemies. How could God miss this? How could God bring us here? Do you think that God was sitting in heaven listening to the reports of the spies sitting on the edge of his seat wondering what was there? I know it was full of milk and honey, but what did these spies find out? Jesus, Holy Spirit, some of the angels, let's listen in. Hittites, I didn't know they were there. Canaanites, giants, oh man, I made a huge mistake. No, 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 because the next truth that we're going to talk about is God still has a plan. In he, in Exodus chapter 3, verse 8, Moses is out in the wilderness. He's tending to sheep. He's killed an Egyptian. He's run away from Egypt, and he's hiding. And while he's tending to the sheep, he sees a bush burning. Well, he sees a bush on fire that's not burning. That's what caught his attention. And he walked over there, and God starts speaking to him, telling him he's on holy ground. And this is one of the things that God tells Moses at the burning bush. Exodus chapter 3, verse 8. So I have come down to deliver them, Jesus, God coming down to deliver the children of Israel, out of the hands of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land. Where is he bringing them? To a good and large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to a place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites, and the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Moses hasn't gone to Pharaoh once yet and said, let my people go. Not one plague has hit Egypt. The Red Sea has not split yet. They have not walked out on dry land. 
They don't have the cloud, of, the cloud over them during the day and fire by night. Moses is still a scared man hiding, and he has an encounter with God. And in Exodus, God tells them, it's a large place. It's a beautiful place. It's a land flowing of milk and honey. And God already knows that there are enemies there. And he's still sending them there, which shows that God has a plan. And he's not worried about the giants in your life because he knows that he's on your side and that he can defeat them. Moses, at that point, when the spies were talking and listing off all the enemies, Moses should have been a leader there and started rejoicing and praising God. And he should have told the children of Israel at that moment, God already told me about these people at the burning bush. Before he delivered you from the Egyptians, he already told me about a place that we were bringing you to, and it was going to be full of people. He already knew that they were there, which means he already has a plan to eradicate them so that he can give us the land. God still has a plan. He still knows what's going on. The scripture that we all know, we have tattooed, we have in our house somewhere, Jeremiah 29, 11. The pastor's favorite scripture. Always go there. John 3.16 or Jeremiah 29.11. For I know the thoughts, but there's more to that definition of thoughts. Plan, purpose. I like this definition. A curious work. For I know the curious works and the plans that I think toward you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil. To give you a future and a hope. God has a plan. Yes, he has this real big plan of him sending the Messiah and saving us from sin and the devil and getting us out of, heaven, out of hell and bringing us into heaven. He has this huge plan. But he also has a plan for you in your life from birth to death. But he also has a plan right now in your life. You think that God has forsaken you. You think that God has forgotten about you. You think that these giants all of a sudden showed up and God doesn't know what to do. But God has a plan right now, in this moment, in this season. And it's a good plan. It's a plan of hope. It's a plan of a future. It's a plan to answer the word of God that you're standing on and believing for. Not for you to die. Not for it to be evil. Not for it to overcome you. And we use this scripture whenever somebody's graduating high school and they're going to college. We use this scripture when you're going into a relationship or you're leaving a relationship. We use this plan when you're having a baby. We use this plan, and we use this scripture over and over in different scenarios. But let's see what God was using this scripture for and who he was using it to encourage them. In Jeremiah 29, going back to verse 1, Now these are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the remainder, which means there was a bunch before, but something happened and there's not a lot left, the remainder of the elders who were carried away captive to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had carried away captive from Jerusalem to Babylon. And Jeremiah, by word of the Lord, is writing this letter and part of that letter that he's writing to a people group. He's writing to a people group who got brought out of Egypt and into the promised land. They're in that promised land and they got brought out of the promised land into captivity into Babylon. 
Those that have heard stories about the God who was freeing them and cutting off heads of giants, now they were taken over by another king and another people group. They were taken captive, they were taken slaves, and they were taken away from their promised land. And God, in that moment, decided to encourage a prophet to start writing a letter and reminding them, I have a plan, I have a purpose, I'm thinking about you, and what it is is good, what it is is prosperous, what it is is not evil that I'm bringing you out of captivity and I've already got a plan to take care of those giants and bring you back and help you. Don't forget that I love you. Don't forget that I'm on your side. Don't forget that I have a plan established to help you on your walk through life. That you might feel like you came out of captivity when you got saved and that God radically saved you and he restored you and he removed all the giants of addiction. He removed all the giants of sin. He removed all the giants that you were struggling with and he freed you and he helped you and you saved you and you've been a Christian for however many years and all of a sudden you feel like you've come back into captivity. You've come back into captivity with depression. You've come back into captivity with poverty. You've come back into captivity and that there's giants that are holding you down and you're saying, where is God? And he's saying, I still have a plan. If I freed you before, I'll free you again. And I'll help you cut the heads off of those giants. But I need your help by declaring the word of God. Because that's the only thing that can heal you and remove destruction from your life. He has a plan. He has a purpose for you. I don't know if I have any people here who are big Office fans, the TV show. But there's a scene where the boss of the office, Michael, is writing with the assistant to the regional manager, Dwight. And they're in this car, and they have a GPS. And, Dwight, and, and Michael's driving his car, and the GPS is telling him where to go. And they're kind of confused, and, and Dwight is trying to tell him the right way to go. Dwight say, no, you need to do this. You need, this isn't right. You need to do this. And the GPS very loudly says, turn right. And Dwight's there in the passenger seat, and he says, no, it means to kind of just lead off to the right, because there's a bridge up there. So he wants you to go to the bridge. He goes, no, GPS isn't wrong. It's telling me to turn right. And he turns right immediately, and what he turns into is a boat launch. And Dwight says, there's a lake right there. And he says, nope, GPS isn't wrong. And Michael just drives full speed right into the lake. We laugh at that and we say that's comical. But how many people, including ourselves, do we have the Holy Spirit sitting next to us, saying in John that he will lead us and guide us in all truth, and he's not yelling at us, he's speaking to us in a clear, small voice, and he's saying, don't go that way. I've got a plan for you. It's better than what you're doing. Don't go back to that Egypt. Don't go back into slavery. I want you to go do this. And you're saying, no. No, mama told me I got to go right, and I got to go right now. The world's telling me I got to do this, and I got to do it now. My emotions, my anger, my frustration is telling me I've got to make a decision, and I've got to do it now. And we do whatever we want, thinking that we are in charge of our lives, and we are in charge of the plan, and we end up in the river. We end up in the water. We end up in a mess. And the Holy Spirit's saying, no, I want you to veer off to the right. Don't. We all see the water. We know that's not the right way. No, 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 I'm going this way. Okay. 
But the the beautiful thing about the relationship with God is he says, come on, I know we're in the water, but I've got a plan to get you out the water. Roll down the window, climb out the car, let's dry off, and let's try this again. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23, it says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Why? Why should I hold on to the confession? Why should I hold on to the plan of God without wavering? For he who promised it is faithful. He's faithful. He's faithful. Even when I make the wrong decisions, he's faithful. And he'll lead me and guide me where I need to go. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. When things do not make sense, we we tend to lean on our own understanding while the Holy Spirit is quietly trying to direct us because he has a plan. He knows what to do and he knows where to go. All right, we got to finish. I'm talking too long. Look, I'll close my Bible to think, let y'all think I'm almost done. The last truth that we have of this whole series, the last truth is keep moving forward. Keep moving forward. You got to keep moving forward. The only two people that survived the spying fiasco was Joshua and Caleb. The rest of the spies all died in the wilderness. That generation all died. And the thing is, they were in the wilderness for 40 years. And 40 years later, Joshua and Caleb found themselves standing in the same exact spot that they had walked away from 40 years ago. And the same enemies were there. The same giants were there. The same fortified cities were there. But we're going to see in Joshua chapter 14 that Caleb is ready. Caleb has been preparing. Caleb has been moving forward knowing that he was going to be back at this same exact spot. He's ready to keep moving forward to obtain the promised land and the victory that he is so close that he desired in the past. Now Joshua is leading the group and Caleb's there and they're having this conversation. And in Joshua 14, starting in verse 8. Nevertheless, my brethren who went up with me made the heart of the people melt. This is Caleb speaking. But I wholly followed the Lord my God. Verse 9 says, so Moses swore on that day he had a word, a word from the prophet. I'm going to possess this land. Surely the land where your feet has trodden shall be your inheritance and your children's forever because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. Verse 10 says, and now, now Caleb is speaking, behold, the Lord has kept me alive. As he said, these 45 years, ever since the Lord spoke this word to Moses while Israel wandered in the wilderness, and now here I am this day, 85 years old. Look at verse 11. And yet I am as strong this day at 85 years old as on the day that Moses sent me when I was 45 years old. Just as my strength was then, so now is my strength for sleep, for rest, for retirement. No, so now my strength is for war, both for going out and for coming in. In verse 12, Now therefore give me this mountain of which the Lord spoke in that day. For you heard in this day how the Anakim, which are the giants, where the giants live. He wants to take over the mountain where the giants live, 
were there and that the cities were great and fortified, it may be that the Lord will be with me and I shall be able to drive them out as the Lord has said. Think about this. For 40 years, Caleb kept moving forward. He didn't doubt. He didn't give up. He was ready to cut the heads off of the giants. At 45 years old, he started doing push-ups. At 50 years old, he kept doing push-ups. At 60, he sharpened his sword, and he kept swinging it and fighting it. At 70, at 75, at 80, at 85, and he says, I am now stronger than ever to go and possess what God has promised me. I'm not tired, I'm not weak, I'm not retiring, I'm moving forward, and I'm planning on moving forward and taking over this land that God has promised me. I don't care about the giants, they're just giants, and I'm cutting their heads off, and I'm getting what God has promised me one way or another. But you have to understand that giants don't just die on their own. They're still there. The giants that he saw 40 years ago are still there. And there's chances in your own life that there are giants that your parents didn't kill, that your grandparents didn't kill, that you're facing now. And it's time for you to cut those giants' heads off. The things that have been passed through generation after generation. Well, grandma was like that, and mama was like that, so I guess I'm going to be like that. And I guess my daughter's going to be like that. No, 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 no. We're cutting the giants' heads off. My parents might not have dealt with it, but I'm going to deal with it. And it's not going to affect my family. There could be giants in your life that you've been running from your whole life. And you just keep circling around and you keep circling around. And why is my life doing this? Why do I keep finding these same cycles? Why do I keep dealing with the same sins? Why do I keep dealing with the same emotions? It's because you haven't dealt with the giants. They're still there. And at what point in your life are you going to get tired of those giants stealing your land and stealing your prosperity and stealing your health? At what point are you going to say, I'm moving forward and I'm killing these giants. I'm done with them. You've got to deal with them or you're just going to keep circling around them over and over and you're going to find yourself dealing with the same thing over and over. You've got to keep moving forward. And we have a great example that Jesus, he comes on this earth, and there's all these prophecies, there's all these words from God as he's speaking. And he's talking, he's telling people that he's the Messiah, he's the Savior, he's the one that's coming. Remember in the Gospels, he talks about how he is going to die. Remember in the Gospel, he tells his disciples, hey, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, and they're going to kill me. And then once they kill me, I'm going to rise from the dead in three days. And they'd be like, no, 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 that's not going to happen. Get thee behind me, Satan. And then he would tell the disciples again, hey, I know we're having fun and we're doing miracles, signs and wonders and people are following us and, and we're getting more social media and we're getting more invites and we're getting all these things, but I've got to go die. They're going to kill me and then I'm going to rise from the dead. And so Jesus is speaking all these things. He's got these words from God. But there's something that happens between him speaking them and him yelling out, it is finished. There's something that happens between him speaking all of these words and him ending up seated at the right hand of the Father. And it's called the giant of the cross. And we have a beautiful picture of Jesus as he kept moving forward through those giants. 
He's got this word that he's been speaking, he's believing, he's standing on, but he hasn't seen the fulfillment of it yet. And Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's sweating great drops of blood. He's about to die. Angels show up and minister to him. And the scripture says that he gets up and he keeps moving forward. All of his disciples leave him. He's taken by the Pharisees. He's beaten. He's punched. His beard is pulled up. But he keeps moving forward. He's brought in front of Pontius Pilate. And he's brought into the place where the Roman soldiers are. And they beat him. And they put a crown of thorns on him. But he keeps moving forward. They bring him to the whipping post. And he lays down on that post. And he receives stripes on his back. And he gets up and he keeps moving forward. And then they place a cross in his hands. He doesn't run away from the giant of the cross. He doesn't try and throw it off of him. He doesn't cry and say that he's scared of it. He picks up the cross and he carries it to Golgotha and he keeps moving forward. And even when he can't keep moving forward because he dies, his disciples pick him up and keep moving him forward into that grave because they knew that he was coming back in three days. And he comes out of that grave. He keeps moving forward with full victory. It is finished. Taking the keys of death, hell, and the grave. Making an open mockery of the devil. And he goes up and he presents himself to God the Father as the eternal sacrifice, the propitiation of all the sins of all humanity. And he says that he releases and shows his blood in heaven. And he says the full fruition is there. Come and sit at the right hand of the Father. Keep moving forward. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, and I'm finishing with this. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight in the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance, keep moving forward the race that is set before us. Verse 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Look at this. Who for the joy that was set before him kept moving forward and endured the cross. If he did it, you can do it. Despising the shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. You have to keep moving forward, not getting bogged down in the middle where the giants are so you can see the victory and the answer. In Joshua chapter 14, after Caleb had said all the things that he said, He went out and he kept moving forward and he killed those giants. And look at Joshua chapter 14, verse 15, part B, the second part of it. Then the land had rest from war. Then the land had rest from war. Keep moving forward. You've got to change your perspective. Quit looking at all the negative around you and look at God that's on your side. You've got to remember that it's just a giant. It's just an enemy. And God has killed many of enemies and he'll destroy whatever enemy is attacking you and your life and your family. And how can you help God in defeating those enemies is by cutting off the giant's head. By speaking and using the word of God. That two-edged sword that's alive, that's breathing, that's active. And in the middle of the chaos, you have to remember that God still has a plan. It's a plan of hope. It's a plan of a future. It's a plan of good to see you come out on the other side victorious. And the last thing that I want to encourage you is to keep moving forward. Don't stay in that same cycle of running from that giant. Whatever that giant is, I believe the Holy Spirit is speaking to you last week and this week 
to help you recognize what giant it is that is attacking you, that is hurting you, that is hindering you from seeing the victory that God wants to have. Keep moving forward in Jesus' name. Let's stand up, finishing right on time, early as usual. Thank you. Father, I thank you for today. I thank you for your word. I thank you for the people that are here. I thank you that you are encouraging us to keep moving forward. It's not by might, it's not by power, but it's only by your spirit. Father, there are giants in these people's lives that they have been fighting their whole lives, that their families have been fighting for too long. And today is the day to cut that giant's head off. Father, I ask you to help them and give them victory. These people here are standing on a word from God. They're believing that you are God, that you love them, that you care for them, and that you're cheering them on. So, Father, reveal your plan to them. Show them where you're bringing them and what you're doing and what you want to do in their lives. Father, help them. Not just see the giant, but see the victory. See their promised land. See the rest not just constantly be in war, constantly be in battle, constantly fighting, constantly striving, but knowing that in your kingdom, with your army, there is rest. Father, I pray scripture over them right now that they have the mind of Christ. Father, I pray scripture over them that their body is the temple of the Most High God, that by Jesus' stripes they are already healed, that they are the salt and light of the earth. The favor of God surrounds them like a shield and they have favor with God and man and everything they put their hands to must prosper. Father, bless them, protect them, cause them to prosper in everything they do and remind them this week to keep moving forward. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. We love you. We'll see you all next week. Take care, family. Thank you for listening to Press Church Podcast. If you would like more information about us or are interested in giving to our ministry, you can click the link in our bio or visit presschurch.org. Don't forget to follow us on social media at Press Church SC and have a great week.